We're starting a brand new sermon series that's going to take us up to Easter. And if you're a first-time visitor and you don't know much about Easter in the church world, Easter is where we definitely focus on the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in this series, we're actually going to look at the seven last statements that Jesus said while he hung on the cross. Do you realize there were seven main things that Jesus said when he was dying on the cross? And I say all that to say, a lot of times, the last things that we say right before we die are sometimes the most important things that we'll ever say, the most important things that people will ever hear. I've got a few last words from different ones that you're probably familiar with. Steve Jobs was reported as saying, oh, wow, three times before he died. Why? I don't know. Oh, wow, three times. Todd Beamer made the phrase, let's roll, pretty popular on a horrible day. 9-11, when he tried to rescue the plane from those hijackers that were taking the plane toward the White House, I believe, and they took the plane down and averted that casualty. That uh, tragedy, but it was a tragedy. Joe DiMaggio, his final words is, I get to see Marilyn again, this famous baseball player wanting to be reunited with his ex-wife. I think that was Marilyn Monroe, right? Well, I don't know about that. But anyway, on a serious side, it's always the last words that a dying person has to say that make us lean in, sit up, pay attention, Hold on to every word that they say because when someone is dying or getting ready to die, they're not going to just chit-chat about the weather. Do you realize that or some trivial thing? No, they're going to use the little bit of energy that they have in their weakened condition to to tell you something that you need to hear or to say something that they need to say. Final words someone said are like an x-ray, a personal x-ray. They show what's inside of that dying person's heart and mind. My wife Cheryl got to be with her grandmother as she passed away in the hospital. One of the last words that she spoke to Cheryl was when she momentarily looked up and woke up and said, uh, Cheryl, you're the best uh, birthday present I've ever received. Uh, Cheryl and uh, Grandma shared the same birthday. They had such a close relationship their whole life. Grandma woke up long enough and wanted Cheryl to know, without a doubt, how precious she was to her. I said all that to say when we, want, when we try to fully grasp and understand the importance of Jesus' final words, we have to remember how he died and the words that he said, the insignificant major words that he said, but not just who said them, but where he said them. It's not just who said them, Jesus said them, but where he said them. You see, Jesus didn't utter those words from a hospital bed. He didn't utter those words from the comforting care of a hospice team. He didn't uh, utter those words even from lying in his own bed at home. He uttered these last words that we're going to look at while he was dying upon a cross. I'll just say this. It was the greatest injustice that's ever been done in history. No other injustice even begins to compare to this injustice. The perfect holy son of God was crucified on a cross, which was a Roman object of torture. Uh, The Romans didn't invent crucifixion, but let's just say they perfected it. You know how sometimes the worst of criminals, when they commit heinous crimes, just the worst of crimes, in some states we still have what we call the death penalty, where they're actually sentenced to be executed to death. Well, they usually do these kind of executions in private. They're swift, almost merciful sometimes, and they're not televised. They're not viewed by the general public. And at the time of execution... 
a few people are allowed to watch as witnesses, but overall, it's kept pretty quiet. It's kept pretty private. Not that way back when Jesus was hanging on the cross. The Romans, in fact, wanted it to be the most public event they could ever make. They wanted everyone to see how brutal this crucifixion was, how extremely painful this uh, crucifixion was. And it was their way of deterring more crime, they said. It was slow. It was painful. And on top of that, they wanted the criminals to die in shame. And the reason and the way that they did that, they crucified these men naked, nude, without any clothes. Sometimes we see the picture of Jesus with the loincloth and everything. According to real history, it wasn't like that. It was even more shameful than that. They tried to make it as bad as they could. And if crucifixion and flogging and the crown of thorns on his head weren't enough, he had to tolerate the brutal words, the bitter words, the scorning words of the onlookers, of the religious people even, and of the soldiers. And let me ask you, what did Jesus do to deserve any of that? I'll answer it. Nothing. He did nothing. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He came and fulfilled all that God had fulfilled, uh, called him to fulfill. And when you study his life and look at Jesus, he did nothing wrong. He never did anything wrong. He loved everyone. He loved people that no one else would love. He loved people that uh, were rejected by the world. And he came with this revolutionary against the grain message that ticked off the religious people. They didn't like the message that Jesus was bringing. Look at Luke chapter 23, verse 33. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. And Jesus said, and I want us to say this together, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Let's say it again. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. This is a prayer of Jesus to the Father. These are the first words recorded that he uttered on the cross. And there was no sympathy for Jesus. You can see it if you read the scriptures and even what I've said right now. They didn't show Jesus any sympathy, but look how he repays them with sympathy. And by the way, this is the only time that Jesus ever asked the Father to forgive sins. Um, ordinarily, he would have forgiven them himself, but this time he uh, asked Jesus, uh, Jesus asked God to forgive the sins. And I thought about this. Why would he do that? It's because even though he was all God, he was still all man, and when he went to the cross, he became sin. So when you think about that, he became sin so that you and I could be saved. God's sinless, but on that cross, guess what? He traded places with you and me. He took our place on that cross. So he left heaven's deity. He left heaven above and became one of us. And yet, in his sympathy and compassion, he still wanted the only one that could forgive sins to forgive those that were brutalizing him, those that were, were crucifying him. Doesn't that tell us of his love? Doesn't that tell us of his compassion? Listen to how this uh, scripture finishes out. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. I just want to promise you one thing, and I'll be honest with you. If you're crucifying me, if you guys decided to crucify me, which let's just hopeful, hope not, but you decide to crucify me, beat me, spit on me, mock me, and if I have any power from God, guess what I'm going to be doing? I'm going to be calling down legions of angels to beat the tar out of every one of you. Amen? <laughs> but think of what Jesus must have been experiencing. Yeah, 100% God, 100% man. These people that had put him on that cross were at the foot of the cross gambling for his clothes, gambling for his garments. 
So in a world that was giving Jesus their worst, he was up there giving them his best. In a world where the world was giving him their worst, Jesus was on that cross giving him his be- them his best. Jesus was praying, Father, forgive them. Part of the reason he prayed that was because he was fulfilling Old Testament prophecy. Isaiah 53, verse 12. It says, he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Let me ask you something. Has anybody ever sinned against you and hurt you so badly, hurt you so bad that you just don't think there's any way you could ever find a way to forgive them? Has any, we've all probably been there. Many of us have been there. Maybe it was someone who slandered your name. Maybe it's someone that said things about you that you just knew definitely weren't true and they were horrible things. Maybe it cost you your job. Maybe it cost you your career. Maybe it impacted your family. Maybe it impacted your wallet, your finances. Maybe it impacted your belief in the goodness of people in general, and you're wondering, how in the world can anybody treat me so bad? How could I ever find a way to forgive them? Or maybe it's something that someone did to you physically. Maybe someone took advantage of you physically. Maybe they abused you physically. Maybe you were abused mentally to the point where you can't even have a good relationship now because it has changed your whole view of you. It has chipped away at who you are, the things that you have dealt with, and you're wondering toward those people that, that offended you, you're wondering, how in the world can I find a way to forgive them? Let me just say today, in all honesty, it's not going to be easy, but it's going to be possible. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be possible. And I would say in a crowd this size, we've got a lot of people here that have been deeply wounded. A lot of people that have been deeply offended by different ones. I'm thinking about the pain in relationships. I mean, there are so many broken and hurting people because of married relationships that haven't worked out, because of uh, father-son relationships, parent-child relationships, all sorts of relationships that haven't worked out. But when it comes to forgiveness, it may not be easy, but it's possible. So what do we do? If you're taking notes, I'm going to give you a couple of things that we can do in order to be able to forgive. The first one is focus on God. If you want to truly be able to forgive God's way, you've got to focus on God. I love what uh, Peter had to say in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23, when he describes this event where Jesus was being crucified. Listen to how he describes it. Verse 23, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate when he suffered, He made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. What was the first thing he did? He entrusted himself to God. If you can trust God with your heart, you can trust him with your hurt. Do you realize that? If you can trust God with your heart, you can trust him with your hurt. And if you can trust the God who loves you, you can trust God to take care of those that hate you. Amen? Take care of that problem. But I think the big problem is we get consumed with our hurts. We get overwhelmed with our hurts. Bitterness sets in, unforgiveness sets in, and the Bible calls that sin. I'm just going to say don't let it get to that point where your hurts and your heartaches become a wall that drive you away from God or keep you separated from God. Let them become bridges that draw you to God and His love and His care. This isn't the time where you go to Facebook and blast everyone who, who has ever hurt you. That's the way we handle things sometimes, not the way to handle it. Instead of going to Facebook, how about taking it to God? How about crying out to God and ask Him to heal your heart? And when others turn their back on you, guess what? We need to turn our face toward God. People are going to turn their backs on us, and that's when we need to do about face and turn our face toward God, turn our hearts toward God. Second point is, if you're taking notes, pray for your enemies. Not easy to do, amen? 
Easier said than done. It's a tough one. And when I say pray for your enemies, I'm not saying pray a prayer of retaliation. I'm not saying God give them the worst case of hemorrhoids they could ever get. I'm not saying that at all. Pray a genuine prayer for their good. Amen? One time I was talking to Doug Burwell, Stephen Susie's son, about a situation, and I'll never forget what Doug said. I think real words of wisdom. He said, you know, as wrong as someone is, in their heart they feel right. As wrong as someone is in their heart, a lot of times they feel right. How many have ever encountered that? You know somebody's wrong, but in their heart they think they're right. On the other hand, you've got some people that are just right fighters. They don't even care if they're wrong. They just want to be proven right. Those people definitely need, need prayer. But it goes both ways. When you think about offenses and hurts, it goes both ways. We don't know the depths of the hurt that we have inflicted on other people, and they don't know the depths of the hurt that they've inflicted on us. And when Jesus hung on that cross, he looked up at the Father, and he said, Father, forgive them, basically because they need more forgiveness than they even realize. He said, Father, forgive them because they're desperate for forgiveness, and they don't even know it. I believe that's what Jesus was saying on the cross. So let me try to tell you what forgiveness is not. Let me try to simplify it by telling you what it isn't. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. Most of us know that reconciliation has to take place between two people, right? But an injured party, an injured person can actually forgive without bringing reconciliation into a situation. We can forgive someone that doesn't even want it. We can forgive someone that isn't even asking for it. And when we forgive, guess what God does? He cleanses our hearts. He may not change them, but he cleanses our hearts. He cleanses our hearts and gives us his peace in our lives. Number two, forgiveness is also not condoning or dismissing an offense. It doesn't mean that you have to say what you did was bad, but it really doesn't matter. It does matter. And if it didn't matter, we wouldn't even have to worry about forgiveness. But when you think about forgiveness, forgiveness acknowledges an act as being wrong. Forgiveness acknowledges that that act is wrong, and in spite of its wrongness, it forgives anyway. That's what genuine forgiveness is. A man by the name of Louis uh, Smead he wrote this, you can forgive a person and still insist on a just punishment for the offense. And that's true. You can forgive them and still insist on a just punishment. But forgiveness really goes way beyond that. It's releasing that sin that comes from an unforgiving heart. It's releasing that person's sin that came out of an unforgiving heart. Look what Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, verse 17. He said, don't be revengeful. Don't repay anyone evil for evil. If it is possible as far as it depends on you, and if it is possible as far as it depends on me, live at peace with everyone. I think the reason that's so powerful is because it's telling me it might be possible, but then again, it might not be possible. I can't control what anybody else does. You can't control what anybody else does, but I can control what's in my heart and what I allow to stay there. I can control how I respond to God and do my part. And the best thing I can do when it comes to forgiveness is pray for that other person. Pray for that other person a genuine prayer. And like I said, praying for them may not change them, but it's going to change you. The more you change for that other person, it's going to change you. And I believe it will help you deal with whatever you have to deal with. So why is forgiving others so important? Jesus probably said it best in Matthew 6, verse 14. Jesus says, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not 
forgive your sins. What does that mean? It's conditional. If you'll forgive, he'll forgive. If you won't, he won't. And you might wonder, did Jesus' prayer get answered when he said, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do? Did his prayer get answered? Definitely. How do we know? I think almost immediately we know by the thief that hung on the cross next to Jesus that called out for salvation. And what did Jesus said? Looked at him, said, you don't need to get down and get baptized. You don't need to get down and get your life cleaned up. He looked at him, and because of your faith, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus reacted. Jesus responded. It was also answered with a centurion soldier that was at the foot of the cross. Verse 37 said, the centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, surely... This was a righteous man. At the foot of the cross, this soldier put his faith in Christ. That question was answered on the day of Pentecost when 3,000 people got saved. In one day, in one moment, 3,000 people got saved, turned their life over to Christ. And many of those people, I would say probably most of those people, were the very people that a few days earlier were shouting, crucify him, crucify him. That's the grace and mercy of our God. That question was answered with Saul the persecutor when on the road to Damascus he met Jesus face to face and he was converted. That prayer was answered when I gave my heart to Jesus Christ in 1979. That prayer was answered when you gave your heart to Christ. When we were born again, when you and I accepted Christ, we became that answer to Jesus' prayer even though it was prayed over 2,000 years ago when he said, Father, forgive them. Let me ask you this morning, have you been hurt? Have you been wounded? Do you have a relationship that isn't where it should be? Or maybe you've wronged someone else. How do we handle that? What's the solution? Go to God for healing. Go to God for his best. Seek him for restoration in all the broken relationships and broken places in your life. And it's hard for us to forgive. It goes against our human nature. So if you're having a hard time forgiving someone, we need to remember how we've been forgiven and turn around and forgive the same way. And even though you don't feel like it, even if you don't have an ounce of that feeling in your heart, look to God and say, I'm going to make a choice to forgive whether I feel it or I don't. I'm going to forgive. Even if you don't feel it, who cares about our feelings? The Bible says not to walk by feelings, right? Walk by faith. Trust and obedience to God. By faith, we choose to forgive and ask God to do a miracle. The truth is God forgave us. Why? Because Jesus died for us. And then guess what? He turns around and expects us to forgive others because he lives on the inside of us. So if you're going to live like Jesus, guess what? You've got to forgive like Jesus. If you're going to live like Jesus, you've got to learn to forgive like Jesus. This means we can live a life free of bitterness. We can live a life free uh, of grudges. You know, Jesus never held a grudge against anybody. Not that I can ever find. Even Judas that betrayed him still treated him, you might say, with love. Yeah, he was destined for what he was destined for. But Jesus treated everyone the same. I heard a story about Leonardo da Vinci. We've all heard of this famous artist, right? He painted the Last Supper, a fresco in a church in Milan. And when he was doing this famous work, he had an enemy who was a fellow painter Da Vinci had had a bitter argument with this guy, and he despised this guy. Well, he got to the point of, of painting the face of Judas Iscariot, and he comes up with, that was sitting next to the table, or on the table, at the table with Jesus, and he got the brilliant idea that I'm going to paint the face of my enemy as Judas Iscariot, that bitter enemy that he had. And it brought Da Vinci great pleasure 
to think that down through the ages, others would equate his enemy with Judas, the betrayer of Christ. Well, as weeks passed, he painted the faces of the other disciples, and every once in a while he'd reach over and try to paint a little bit on Jesus' face, and he couldn't do it. It was like he had painter's block. He was frustrated. He couldn't figure out what was going on. He was confused. But after a while, he realized, wait a minute, I know what's keeping me from being able to paint the face of Jesus, his hatred for his enemy. His hatred for that fellow painter was holding him back from being able to paint the face of Jesus. And it was only after he made peace with that fellow painter and after he repainted the face of Judas that he was able to paint the face of Jesus and complete his masterpiece. I say that tells us that it's only when we forgive that we can look God in the face, so to speak, and get our hearts in line with his will, get our hearts in line with his plan, become who he's called us to be. Forgiveness has a huge part to play. Forgiveness has a lot of uh, good benefits. I'll say great benefits, psychological benefits, physical benefits, relational benefits, and especially spiritual benefits. You may not have ever thought of forgiveness as being as powerful as it is, but it's probably one of the most powerful forces in the universe. And when it comes to understanding God's forgiveness, the test is how we're able to forgive others. The real test is how able are you to forgive others and to follow Christ's example. I remember seeing a billboard one time, and it was a picture of Jesus Christ hanging on a cross. And in big, bold letters, the caption read, it's your move. It's your move now. This morning, I've got two questions for you that may help you make your move, because we all have a move to make. You know, forgiveness doesn't come by just Jesus doing his thing. We've got a part to play. Number one, have you been forgiven? Have you been forgiven, and have you forgiven others? This morning, God might be testing you as I've gone through this sermon, putting someone on your heart that you need to go forgive. It could be a spouse, it could be a boss, it could be a coworker, it could be a friend, it could be a student at school. It could be a relationship that's so broken that you never thought it possible to be fixed. We need to believe in a God of miracles. We need to go to God and not just pray for a miracle, but God help me to be part of this miracle. God, what do I need to do? What do I need to say? What do I need to do to be a part of this healing process? Maybe it's just making a phone call. Maybe getting a gift for someone. Maybe it's as simple as giving them a hug, an apology, an email, maybe a face-to-face visit, and ask God, what am I to do? And then commit to do it. Don't just ask him. Listen to hear what he has to say and then commit to do it, to follow through. Sometimes there are things and people we need to forgive And it just doesn't seem possible to do it face to face. Well, I'm going to help you out. I don't know if you've noticed on the bottom of your note sheet today, but we've got that scripture, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. And then underneath it, we've got some lines. Some of you might need more lines, but on the second, on the left column, on your own time, and I want you to take this home with you, I want you to think it out, pray it out, and ask God, is there anybody in my life that is my enemy? Is there anybody that I need to ask forgiveness for or to forgive? And then on the right side, that blank, in capital letters, I want you to write the word forgive. Their name on the left, forgiveness on the right. The name on the left, forgiveness on the right. And then I want you to tear that piece of paper up. And I want you to throw it in the trash. Get rid of it. Fill your life with forgiveness and empty it of bitterness. Because when you hold grudges against people, it doesn't just stay a little grudge. It becomes a bigger grudge and a bigger grudge and a bigger grudge. And it's sin. If we hold a grudge against people, release yourself from that grudge. 
I don't know what you're here for. I don't know what you're dealing with today. But if you've got any area of forgiveness, today's the day to get it right. You might be suffering from wrong, harsh words that were spoken over you, and maybe you're realizing you've spoken some harsh words over someone else. You might be struggling with some things you've done in your past that you think are so bad, I'll never be forgiven. You might be struggling with the guilt of some failure in your past, the resentment, unforgiveness that you've let fester. Ask Him for forgiveness. Whatever you need today, let God meet that need. He's the only one that really can. Oh, we have a part to play, but He's the one we have to go to and allow the power of His forgiveness to sweep over your heart, sweep over your mind, and make you brand new. And as far as becoming brand new, I'm going to help you out a little bit further today to discover this forgiveness in a brand new way so you can experience hope, peace, joy, victory in every area of your life, and that's to give an altar call. I don't give an altar call every Sunday, but I'm going to give an altar call this Sunday. And if you've got anything going on in your life that you need to come to this altar for, it might be you need to forgive someone and start right here. It might be uh, somebody needs to forgive you. Well, either way, this is a place to start. So I'm going to invite you to come, and while you're coming, I think of Easter, and I think of God's amazing grace, Resurrection Sunday. While Christ was dying on the cross, do you realize he gave us the greatest example of forgiveness? And yeah, you can come in the middle of my little talk here. If you need to come, and you cannot tell me that there's not one, okay. I'll get down here and I just kneeled because I need it. I need it every day, so I know I can't preach a message like this. I can't preach a message like this and not give an invitation. So I'm giving you the invitation. It's still up to you what you do with it, but I'm giving you the invitation today to come and get things right with God because God's here right now. You might miss your moment. Don't miss your moment. But I think of Jesus' perfect example while he hung on the cross. He showed the greatest amount of forgiveness that he could ever show. Showed us the greatest example of forgiveness. And I'm thinking if he can say, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. If he can say that while he's being brutally beaten and dying on a cross, I think that sets a benchmark for all of us. That sets a benchmark for me to follow. To say, how much unforgiveness am I going to allow to stay in my heart? Let me just tell you, it ought to be a big zero. Today's your day to bow your hearts in prayer and to let God heal whatever needs to be healed. Start the process of forgiveness that only God can start by you kneeling at an altar, by you surrendering that over to God. When you forgive, guess what? You're placing the whole matter in God's hands. You're giving it to God. And you're choosing to live God's way. Live life God's way. Forgive God's way. And do you know we're never made right with God by being religious? Some churches teach you you've got to be religious to get to heaven. No, that's not going to get you to heaven. Good works isn't going to get you to heaven. Going to church isn't going to get you to heaven. It's impossible to work your way to heaven. Do you realize that? It's impossible to work your way to God. There's only one way to get to God, and that's accepting Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross. His shed blood for the forgiveness of your sins. His trading places with us on the cross. So when we forgive, you're handing it over to God. Still have a part to play. Some are taking their part right now, and I'm sure some are at their seats too. But Father God, in the name of Jesus Christ, all we have to do is receive it, believe it, receive it, and accept it. Father God, we do today receive your promises 
we receive your sacrificial love upon that cross that couldn't be any more plain than, than uh, the greatest picture of forgiveness ever given. Lord, I pray that uh, you would give us your supernatural help to be able to forgive those that have wounded us. Some of the wounds in this place are deep. Some of the hurts are big. We need your presence living big in our lives to be able to take the higher road, God, and to make the choice to forgive. Lord, help these at the altar, Lord God, as they've made a choice to come to this altar to find your peace and your grace and your strength, Lord God, to do whatever you say is their next move. Lord, it goes against our flesh, our nature, to forgive others, but I pray that you would give us your strength and determination to forgive today any offense that we're holding on to in our hearts against anyone. Help us to release it so that we can be set free from its power. Be set free from anything that's keeping us from being in your plan, in your will. Father, I thank you today for your grace and your mercy. We give you thanks. We give you praise. I thank you, Lord God, for your love and your mercy. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Could you just stay in quiet for just a moment? Let these that are at the altar finish praying. In fact, could you stand your feet? Could you stand your feet? Father God, I thank you for this brand new day that so many have received today. A day to start fresh. A day to be taking that higher road. Allowing you to be the God of their life. To lead them into forgiveness. To bring healing into their lives. We thank you, Lord God, for the message of Jesus Christ on the cross. We give you praise, glory, and honor. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you all. Go out and forgive somebody. Amen. <laughs>